This morning reading taken from 1 Peter chapter 5, 1 to 5, on page 1220. To the elder of and the flocks, to the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder and a witness of Christ's suffering, who also will share in the glory to be refilled. Be shepherd of God's flock that is under your care, watching over them, not because you must, but because you are willing, as God wants you to be not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve, not loading it over those entrusted to you, but being example to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. In the same way, you who are younger, submit yourself to your elders, all of you, close yourself with humility towards one another, because God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. This is the word of the Lord. Hello, everybody. Our passage this morning, <clears throat> this Bible reading, thank you, Topper, uh, is mainly addressing church leaders. It's addressing the overseers of the church who carry the responsibility for guiding the flock of God, watching over them. This morning, I, I'm going to be speaking about finding our freedom in God's flock. <clears throat> in our society today, we are encouraged to define our own preferred values. Uh, society is a pretty open uh, kind of context. You can pretty much do what you like as long as you don't break the law. And uh, you're even able to redefine who or what you are. Uh, and it's a really topsy-turvy world we live in. It's kind of like all being turned on its head. Uh, recently, we witnessed statements by church authority aligning themselves to um, emerging social norms that directly contradict biblical values uh, as taught by God's word. But this is not new. The church has always been at odds with the world. Martin Luther once wrote a treatise, treatise uh, 500 years ago. Uh, and he called it the Babylonian captivity of the church. Uh, and he spent time attacking the abuse of authority in the church in the pursuit of dishonest gain. So there's never been a time in the church where, you know, we've uh, <clears throat> battled with our leadership at times. But increasingly today, as God's flock, we must embrace Peter's words that outline God's call for us to live together in harmonious obedience to his word. 
to let those sort of preferred values fall away and let and allow the word of God to inform us. <clears throat> a few years ago, I remember quite a long time ago, I was not very big, I watched <clears throat> a movie called Rebel Without a Cause. I'm sure some of you have seen it. Uh, it's a brilliant movie. It, it really um, touched on some uh, hot topics in 1955 about the generation gap. Um, starred James Dean. Uh, I'm sure some of you elderly people, elderly, will remember James Dean as the hunk who was. It was like Elvis and James Dean. They were the the stars in America. But it's a story about a kind of coming of age, emotionally confused suburban middle-class teenagers, and it explored the differences between the generations the conflicts between generations. And the rebel in the movie had no real cause uh, to rebel against. But he just rebelled anyway because, you know, that's what people do. They rebel whenever they're given a chance. We are notoriously uh, rebellious as human beings. That's what we are. Uh, and the heroes of our culture today are still the same dissolute, Rebellious types, uh, casting off all restraint. It's the world we live in, and it's going to get worse, I think, I fear. But in these verses that we read uh, just now, Peter appeals to us, uh, all of us, to bind ourselves to God and to one another uh, in three ways. In unity to be single-minded and joined together as God's people in love, loving one another, loving the world, loving the people who are not in the church, and in complete humility, in submission, really, to our leaders. And Peter himself gives us the model. He is an apostle, but he appeals as a fellow elder in, the, in his address. He is a witness of Christ's suffering, which establishes his apostolic authority, but he does not wield power from above. He makes an appeal expressed through a life lived alongside, uh, as he puts it, as one who will share in the glory to be revealed. Uh, we're all going to be partakers of the glory of God one day. We're all co-equal, we're co-sharers in that glory. And that's what Peter tells us. Every church is going to develop along the lines of its leadership. Uh, we should always consider the kind of leadership we are prepared to follow because Peter insists that we are to be subject to our elders. We are called in the church to be subject to be in submission to our leadership, to our elders, in a, in a kind of mutual humility. They serve us in love and humility, and we serve them in love and humility, or we serve one another in love and humility. Uh, that's what he says there in verse 5. All of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. Uh, it's one of the great challenges of the scriptures because pride is such a 
curse in our day, isn't it? We're so very prideful uh, in our lives. We think we are something when we're really nothing. And uh, humility is its a decision. It's a decision to clothe ourselves with humility. But the question that I want to ask this morning is, um, what qualifies a leader to lead? What gives him... Uh, what qualifies him to lead? I want to read to you <clears throat> the qualities of the perfect vicar. Okay, get that in your mind. Think about Eddie. He preaches for exactly 15 minutes and then he sits down. He condemns sin, but he never hurts anyone's feelings. He works from 8 o'clock in the morning till 10 o'clock at night. In every type of work, from preaching to putting out the bins after the service on a Sunday evening, uh, he earns a thousand pounds a month. He wears good clothes, he buys good books, he drives a good car. He's 26 years old and he's been preaching for 30 years. <laughs> he's tall and thin, but heavy set, plain looking, but handsome. Uh, he parts his hair in the middle, which is straight and dark on the left, and wavy and blonde on the right. He has a burning desire to work with teenagers, and he spends all his time with older people. He makes 15 pastoral visits a day to church members, and spends all his time evangelizing the unchurched, and is never out of his office. That's not Eddie, is it? I don't think he's got enough hair for that. But jokes aside, elders have three distinguishing characteristics uh, that we should look to. That I must say, I find here in St. John's. These are the characteristics that would be important to me. Elders, firstly, are biblically orientated. They're Bible-based. That qualifies an elder. Uh, the Apostle Paul, actually, in his letter to Titus, has a very realistic picture of an elder. He says he must hold firmly to the trustworthy message as it has been given and as it has been taught so that he can encourage others by sound doctrine and rebuke those who do not agree with that. So elders are called to model the insights and the understanding of the Word of God so that we do in our lives what is expected of others. Uh, being examples to the flock, says Peter, verse 3. An elder is an example. He's a template of how we should be. As he follows Christ, so we follow him. That's how elders should be. An officer goes before his troops into battle, doesn't he? He goes with his troops. He's alongside them. He's showing them the way. He's imparting to them the tactics needed in order to overcome and survive. It's as with a shepherd who leads his flock from the front, calls his sheep by name, and they come and they follow him. And any disorder in an elder's life can be spiritually unhealthy for the church. And uh, we all know the damage that has been caused to Christian communities at various times by church leaders who fall from grace. And uh, it 
it's always blown up by the media, it becomes a big deal. Look at this guy, he's really, you know, whatever the story is. He's embezzled money out of the church, he's had an affair, he's done something that is contrary to the qualities of an elder. And uh, it's painful for the congregation, it's painful for the church to listen to. Elders exercise oversight, avoiding worldly distractions like greed for money or shameful gain, as uh, Peter puts it. I once knew of a pastor who preached on Sunday and uh, serviced cars during the week. It wasn't because the church couldn't afford to pay him. He earned a good salary. But he earned an even better salary by having a kind of like sideline business servicing cars. And uh, so his mind was not wholly fixed upon the well-being and the and the uh, growth of the congregation or the church or its direction. He was self-interested. And Jesus said in Matthew, uh, well, before that, Peter fixes one good point here about shepherding. He says it has no taint of self-seeking. And I think that's true of, of the leadership in the church. Jesus said in Matthew 24, Who then is the faithful and wise servant whom the master has put in charge of the servants in his household to give them their food at the proper time? And so wise elders are cautioned to lead biblically, tending the flock, making sure that they get their food at the proper time. Uh, Jesus also said, Not many of you should become teachers. Or James rather said it, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. So it's an onerous thing to be a leader in a church. There's there's a different set of rules, really, if you like. Um, Elders have the demanding task, uh, having obligations and responsibilities that far exceed ours. Uh, Responsibilities towards the church, responsibilities towards the Word of God that far outweigh any personal advantages. Those are the two things that elders must be focused on. The congregation and the Word of God. Because these are the things that challenge our hearts. These are the things that bring change and growth and holiness, godliness, uh, the Spirit working within us. Secondly, not only are elders biblically uh, orientated, but elders define the church's vision. They help formulate goals and visions and the ministry of the church. They keep the focus of what God is saying to the church. That's where Peter says, watching over the flock, called to watch over the flock. Uh, Because sheep without a shepherd can wander off, can't they? It's easy to sort of become dissolute if our leaders are not clearly leading and we sense the word of God coming to us and challenging us and leading us. It's easy to, to wander off, but a good elder... Uh, watches over. The word is episkopos. And you know we get 
you know what English word we use for that, but it means to watch over. It means overseeing from an elevated position so that elders can observe what is going on in the flock and keep watch over them. It is his responsibility. He's not sticking his nose into your business so much as God has given him the responsibility to watch over you. It's up to you whether or not you will submit to that leadership, but he watches over you. Elders are available or they're able to evaluate the array of God's gifting within the church. I know as an elder, you look out on the church and you go, I served in a church in Port Elizabeth. 17 of the, of the congregation were teachers. <clears throat> now, 17 teachers in a congregation, that's quite a, that's quite a lot of people. It was kind of like about a third of the congregation, just about. But I recognized the Lord was saying something. God is calling us to set up some sort of training, teaching, ministry in the community. And that's what happened. And they built a wonderful, well, I haven't been there for over 20 years, but they built a wonderful uh, <clears throat> Christian nursery school. And they've drawn the teachers from the congregation. So elders can help people discover their God-given gifts. And everyone has a spiritual gift. You can say, oh, God didn't give me a spiritual gift. Well, that's not right because God has given everybody in the church a spiritual gift. <clears throat> Many people haven't got a clue about what their spiritual gifts are. They've never taken the time to explore or find out what gift it is that God has given to them? They're spiritual gifts. There are 13 spiritual gifts mentioned in the New Testament. Uh, everything from sort of teaching, if you like, all the pastoring, all the way to hospitality and just everything in between. It's a very diverse gift, list of gifts. Um, Many people haven't got a clue about what their spiritual gifts are, and that's mainly because spiritual gifts are not given fully formed. Um, when I was a kid, I used to listen to a radio program called Sparky. I don't know, some of you may remember that, or maybe you never got it in England, but we used to get Sparky. And Sparky was a little boy who suddenly could play the piano and played the most amazing um, concerts in his, in his family. And his family were blown away. Sparky, how did you, where did you get that gift from? It's so amazing. And uh, the gift would come and go. So Sparky would not always play the piano when requested. It was only when he suddenly had the inspiration to play the piano would he play these amazing uh, compositions but the gift of music for example is only developed through practice you're only going to be you can only say I'm a musician if you've been practicing and you're getting better and better and more familiar with music and you know the challenge of playing an instrument but I'm sure when you start off like me trying to play the piano you're a bit all one-fingered at the moment. It's, I can play chopsticks. I'm quite good at chopsticks, but that's about as far as it goes. 
Everyone in the church has been given spiritual gifts for the building up of the body, honoring and serving one another in the pursuit of the church's vision for ministry amongst ourselves and out into the community. And then thirdly, elders define the church's vision, but elders teach other people how to love. And demonstrating love indicates kind of a humility and a compassion for others. Where we see the most power and authority being exercised, we see the least love. But where we see the most love, we see the least power. And so love is the principle. Love me as I have loved you. Love one another. And the gospel is all about love divesting itself of power. It's always about giving away human power. Being examples to the flock, says Peter. The elder or the pastor or the vicar is a template that we should be able to look to and, and recognize spiritual uh, leadership. And elders can say, follow me as I follow Christ. Not lording it over those entrusted to you, as Peter says. Not do as I say, but do as I do. And that's what we want to see. We want to see leadership, eldership that is doing as he says. Or her, she says. Now what's interesting about this letter, 1 Peter, that Peter wrote, is that Simon Peter best understands the misuse of power uh, of his position. He sought to prevent Jesus from going to the cross. Remember? He came to the Lord Jesus and he, he, it says, Peter took Jesus aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, he said. Never, Lord. This shall never happen to you. And Jesus replied, Jesus rebuked him firmly and said, Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. See, merely human concerns <clears throat> is another way of saying you have your own agenda, which is not God's agenda. And that's a rebuke to leaders who have a rebuke or have a, their own agenda as opposed to God's agenda is a rebuke but you know that with Peter when at last he failed his Lord and denied knowing him three times it showed the weakness of his character and the unsuitability for him to be a leader he disqualified himself at that point and later Jesus came to him and said to him Peter do you love me and Peter's response was, yes, Lord, I do love you. And, and Jesus asked that question of Peter three times. And then finally Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. What a, he was recommissioned. 
Jesus appointed Peter to lead not because he is a powerful leader. He appointed him because he is a weak lover. And we're all weak in that way. We all want to love one another as we should, but we're weak at this. And we often choose the way of power rather than the way of love. The last thing Peter wanted was to be reinstated, but he was ready to learn a redefinition of power and authority. And God's power is perfected in our meekness and and in our humility so that we, together with our leaders, rely on God's power at work within us. I think our true freedom comes when we are all in humble submission to God and his word. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble, says Peter. God turn his face away from us when we're proud, but will come and give us his grace when we adopt a humble position before the Lord, when we seek his word and his ways above our ways, which at times is a real wrestling match. As Peter said, never Lord. You you cannot put those two words together, can you? They don't go together. You cannot say to Jesus, never, and then say, Lord. It's an anathema. It's a contradiction. They're incompatible words. Cannot say, never, Lord, as Peter said. And, uh, And we sometimes say, never, Lord. Never, Lord. We cannot say that. We must say, we must say, Lord, Here I am. Use me. I'm willing. Whatever you want. And we want God's favor, don't we? We really do. We need it. Without it, we cease to become a church. We just become a group of people gathering in a a building. Unless we're putting the Lord... First, unless we're seeking his ways through his word, unless we are looking to godly leadership to lead us into the vision of the church and showing us how to love one another. As Jesus taught his disciples how to love. Amen. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we want to thank you for your own divine example of perfect humility and submission to the Father as you took the road to Calvary. Help us to follow our leaders and help us to follow you in the same spirit of humility and submission to one another. May your will enfold us in its light and power the power of love, so that we too may receive the unfading crown of glory uh, that Peter promises us. And may we hear you say to each one of us, well done, good and faithful servant. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Amen.